you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're in Luke chapter 12 as we continue in our sermon series that we've entitled Parables, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. We've learned this summer that parables are short stories that answer the big questions of life. And we've heard Jesus answer questions with these stories, questions such as, how can I know God? How can I find God even when God seems to be hidden? How can I be made right with God? How can I move closer to God? And you can hear all those sermons on our podcast, Redeemer Shoals, uh, wherever you get your podcast. But today, Jesus deals with the question, how can you know if your desire for or your pursuit of money or material things is doing you harm? I don't know how you reacted when you heard in the prayer, be with Scott, he's preaching on money today. I don't know, it kind of took my breath away. I would imagine if you come in here and, and you've never been here before, you're like, gosh, what is this guy going to say? But it's important that we talk about money, not because we need to talk about money, but because of we need to look at our hearts. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he even talked about prayer. It's important that we talk about money because the culture we live in calls us to pursue money and upward mobility and a certain level of income so that we have a certain level of status, so that we have a certain level of comfort, so that we have a certain quality of life, that we have to have a certain level of achievement, so that we can have a certain level of financial freedom. And that we have to have certain possessions in order to live the good life. That's what our culture tells us. But if you are a follower of Jesus or you are considering whether to follow Jesus, then you need to know that Jesus has a very different view on money and the good life. Jesus believes you can have all those things I just named and not live the good life. So I invite you to listen as Jesus interacts with a a man who makes a demand of him, and then Jesus, as he is wont to do, tells a story. And my prayer has been that God would use it in your heart as he has in mine. So if you would now give your attention to the reading of God's word in Luke chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. Hear now God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. 
Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray for our hearts and minds, many of us, as we begin to talk about money and hear you talking about money. We're a little nervous. I pray that you would calm our minds and our hearts. I pray that you would speak to us clearly in your word. I pray that you would show us the the safe path, the right way to think about these things. And I ask that you'd be willing to do so through the preaching of your word, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There are so many different views on money and material things that we run into in our culture uh, and in, even in the church or in our families. Some never discuss money at all. It's like it's a bad thing or something we just don't talk about. And so for some of us, we don't really talk about money at all. And so you're probably a little uncomfortable at this point if that's where you stand. Some look to money as the best source of security or a way of achieving status. So we will talk about money, at least indirectly, in order to have that status or that security, because for some of us, we believe the more money we have, the more important you are. Some see making money as the best way to prove that we've made it. Many folks say that's the best way to keep score, right? You can just see the numbers right there. It's measurable. Well, I want you to notice what Jesus says and what he does not say about money and material things in the text. Did you notice? Jesus does not say that having money or having things is wrong. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Jesus does not say that having money or things is wrong. For Jesus, money and material things have the potential to harm us, right? He warns. He says, watch out, be on your guard. He says to watch out for covetousness. We don't use that word a lot. It's kind of a church word. It's just a word that means a desire to have what somebody else has. So Jesus is saying, watch out your heart as you live in the world. You're going to want things that other people have. Be on guard against that. And then Jesus tells us why. He says, because the good life does not come from having more stuff. Now, that's a very different message than our culture, right? We sort of have this pressure to keep up with the Joneses, we might say, right? That we have to keep a certain level of stuff. We have to have a certain level of income. To live the good life, you have to have the good stuff. That's what our culture tells us. So Jesus warns us here about greed, about discontent, about the belief that We don't have what we need to be happy. And the belief that having more will make us happy. And what Jesus says is there's a danger here. So you need to be careful. You need to watch out. Now it's very interesting to me, and I love it when this happens. Jesus said all these things 2,000 years ago. But if you do a web search and you Google, not now on your phones, but if you do this later and Google something like more money, more stress, more money, more problems, you will see that our contemporary studies actually agree with what Jesus says. Sociologists, economics, uh, economists, psychologists are confirming what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. I pulled a few articles 
They're from everything from LinkedIn to Forbes to CNBC, the Harvard Business School. And they say things like this. More money means more stress, says a new study. That's funny because Jesus said it like 2,000 years ago. While a third of Americans say they are constantly stressed about their finances, new data finds that making more money can actually do harm. That's what Jesus is warning against, right? People who report making a higher income tend to face higher levels of stress at work and don't necessarily experience higher job satisfaction. Here's another. A survey of 1,000 LinkedIn members who are currently employed in the United States. Researchers found that people who earn between 51,000 and 75,000 generally feel the least stressed. By contrast, those who make an income of $200,000 or more, nearly 70% say they feel stressed, twice as many as the folks in the other group. Researchers also found that higher incomes did not translate to higher levels of job satisfaction. Or one of my favorites, a recent study of 4,000 millionaires from Harvard Business School found that the price of happiness can actually be quite steep. Huh, you don't say. One entrepreneur earning $1 million a year recently reported that, quote, money and power make people greedy and crazy and I am not exempt, end quote. Despite living a highly privileged life, she admits to always wanting more, adding that when you make that much money, quote, you get in this rut where you're still tired, stressed, and miserable. Fascinating that the same thing Jesus warned about 2,000 years ago, now researchers are saying, hey, this thing has some danger to it. There could be some harm attached to this. So if Jesus warned us and the latest studies are showing that our pursuit of money and material things can do us harm, if that is true, then that makes the question we're considering today very relevant, right? Because the question we're considering, you see it up there at the top of your notes if you got one, that we're asking the question, how can you know if your desire for or your pursuit of money or material things is doing you harm? We see that we can. Jesus warns that it can. The latest studies show that it can. So how can we know if our desires or our pursuit of money and material things is doing us harmed? Three things let's look at together we see from the text. Number one, that may be happening to you when your relationships are damaged. When your relationships are damaged. Look at verse 13 of the text. Someone in the crowd, Jesus has crowds following him, right? And so someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now it's interesting, Jesus is followed by these crowds. He's invited them to ask or to seek or to knock. But this guy's not asking, is he? He just makes a demand. Hey, Rabbi! Tell my brother to divide the inheritance equally. If you don't know the background in this culture, the oldest son was responsible for dividing the inheritance in a way that was fair. The, the custom was at this time that you would divide the, the inheritance between the sons and the oldest son would take a double share and everybody else would get an equal share. And so evidently this guy thought his brother was not being fair and dividing the inheritance, and he appeals to Jesus saying, hey, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, by his response, seems to think that this demand revealed something about that man's heart that shows his desire for things was damaging his relationships. Now, why would I say that? Well, notice what this man does not say. Right? If he cared about his brother, if he's in good relationship with him, perhaps he would say something like this. He would say, Jesus, Rabbi, can you help me with my brother? Not just help me get my stuff, right? Can you help me with my brother? I miss him. I love him. We've both been a wreck since dad died. And this money and stuff seems to be getting in the way of our relationship. Jesus, can you help us? I just want my brother back. But that's not what this man says. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's almost as if he's saying, I don't really care about my brother, Jesus. Just get me my stuff. He won't listen to me. Maybe he'll listen to you. Now listen, as a lawyer, I have to say that there may be real issues of equity and fairness and justice caught up in resolving this dispute over an inheritance, okay? And God cares about those things. But for our purposes and what we're looking at, one way we can know if our desire for or our pursuit of money and material things is doing us harm is if it is damaging our relationships in this way. Now, it can look different ways. Sometimes it's as simple as overwork and working so much that we neglect our family, that we neglect our marriage, that we neglect our friends, that we even neglect ourselves and don't have a social life where we don't even take care of ourselves because we're so intent on our pursuit of money and things and achievement. That's one way this can look. Another way this could look, ask yourself this question. Are any of your relationships mostly transactional? And what I mean by that is that you care more about what you can get out of the relationship than the relationship itself. Because that also can be a sign that your desire for, your pursuit of money and material things is doing you harm. Now, if you think this may be true of you, the temptation here and the reason why people get nervous when we talk about money is that preachers try to make us feel really bad and really guilty about that. That is not my purpose here. This is what I want you to hear. If you think this may be true of you, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that Jesus is inviting you to be free of this trap of valuing possessions over people. There's great freedom here. And Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, doesn't want you to be a slave to things. Or a slave to what our culture tells us we have to have. So that we kill ourselves and damage our relationships in pursuit of something that Jesus says, and the latest studies say, those things are probably not going to make you happy anyway. So what I want you to hear 
is the invitation, the opportunity to be free from the harm that can be inflicted on us in our pursuit of money and things. Feel the grace and the love that Jesus extends. So we see, when we ask the question, how can you know if your desire for a pursuit of money or material things is doing you harm? Number one, when your relationships are damaged, that may indicate a problem. Number two, when you stop thinking of other people, Maybe that's why your relationships are damaged, right? But number two, when you stop thinking about other people, listen to how self-centered this guy is. Did you catch that? Look at verses 16 to 19 when Jesus starts telling the parable. I'll read it a little differently this time. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, who is this man thinking about? Himself. He doesn't mention anybody else here. He's thinking of himself and nobody else. It's so interesting to me when he says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Let me just ask, do you think this guy is going to be the one that tears down the barns and build bigger ones? Do you think it's really I who's going to do that? No way. A rich man has people to do that. He's gonna have, he has workers. He has employees. He has people that depend on him, right? That's who's going to be tearing down this barn and building bigger ones. He doesn't even mention them. I will tear down the barns. I will build bigger ones. He doesn't think about his workers, his employees, his family, his friends. He doesn't ask any friends or family for advice. Hey, what do you think I ought to do? Here's the issue I've got. I'm kind of thinking this. What do you think? Listen. When you only are thinking of yourself, you think you have all the answers. You think you don't really need any outside counsel from other people. I'm just saying you're not in a good place. That might be an indication that your pursuit of and your desire for money and material things is doing you harm. We see that in the life of this man. It's such an interesting thing to me that success in one area of our life can often deceive us. I saw it when I was practicing law. I was around a lot of lawyers that were very successful. I defended doctors. I was around a lot of doctors. And these people who had been successful in one area of life all of a sudden, they thought they were the expert and authority on all of life because they had been successful in one area. Success and riches and status can deceive us in that way. And you see that in this man who doesn't ask for any outside counsel. And of course, he doesn't ask God for anything. He never asks, God, what would you have me do? Verse 31 that we're going to look at in a minute, Jesus specifically says... 
to pursue God and his kingdom and all these things will be added to you later. He doesn't seem to be thinking about anyone outside of himself. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just, let me apply this and then I'll get to when you stop thinking about God, okay? So how can you know if your desire for pursuit of money and material things is harming you when you stop thinking of other people? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, God knows what you need and God will provide what you need and when we have faith in that and we see that we've experienced God's faithfulness over time then all of a sudden we can be more generous with our stuff and give to other people and think of other people besides ourselves because of our faith in him it's a faith issue because of our faith in him and our faith in God's faithfulness to us do you see that? Does that make sense to you? Does that train of thought make sense? That's exactly where Jesus goes in the text. Do you see that? We stopped reading at verse 21, lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The very next thing is, and he said to his disciples, so he's talking to his followers. He says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither reap nor sow, they have neither storehouse nor barn, which is what this man just said he was going to build bigger ones, right? So Jesus still has that story in mind. He's expounding on it, he's applying it to his followers here. So the ravens don't have a storehouse or a barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, who clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, as Jesus addresses his followers, his disciples, he's saying this is a faith issue. That when you have faith in the faithfulness of God towards you, you're able to be generous. You're able to think of people beside yourself. Watch, that's where he goes. Verse 29. And don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions, give to the needy. You see, people who have faith in God's provision are able to be generous to those who are in need. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me just ask you this one question. When you get more money, maybe a raise, maybe a tax return, when you get more money, how do you respond? Do you think about other people? Do you think about God and his kingdom and how it can be advanced? Or do you just think about yourself? When you begin just thinking of yourself and you stop thinking of others, 
you may be in a place that your pursuit of and desire for money and material things is doing you harm. But there's a third thing we've already mentioned. When you stop thinking about God. When you stop thinking about God. We've already seen this man is only thinking of himself, but Jesus specifically mentions his failure to think of God. You see it there in verse 21 when Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now that sort of begs the question, doesn't it? Why should this man be rich toward God? Why would he do that? Why should that occur to him? Well, I think Jesus answers that in the parable, if you think about the story that he told, which is what we're supposed to do, is to take these things and to think about them. Look what he says in verse 16 when he starts the parable. It's very interesting, his wording. Did you hear what Jesus said? He told him, verse 16, he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So, so did the rich man produce the stuff? No, that's a prepositional phrase, right? Talking, describing who the land belongs to. The land produced plentifully. That's an interesting way to word that. And I think Jesus' is intentional is in his wording. Because you can work hard on the land and the land not produce. Right? That's the story of many American small farmers in this country. That they worked hard, but the land did not produce because they didn't have the rain, or they had too much rain, or they had pests, or they used too many pesticides, or the soil wasn't right. So basically, this man had favorable conditions to produce this plentiful produce. And where did the favorable conditions come from? God. Right? The favorable conditions came from God. So the appropriate response here would be, God, you have done what I could not do. You have provided for me and for my family and for my workers and for my neighborhood. What else would you have me do with this plentiful produce? Who are wise folks who follow you that I could ask? And when we don't think that way, then perhaps... Our pursuit of money and material things is beginning to do us harm. When we think of our stuff as separate from our thinking of God, there is a dualism that happens. We make this division between spiritual sacred things and secular things, physical things, and we create this division that God does not see. Our culture encourages us to keep our religion private, and yet everything else is public. And what that means for us is it's possible for us to go to church and to pray and to be in the scriptures, but then to say, well, what does that have to do with my life at work? <laughs> what does that have to do with my money? I give my 10% at the church and the rest of the 10% is God's and 90% is mine. Negative, Ghost Rider. That is not the way that works, right? It's all God's. All of it. Giving 10% is just saying, Lord, thank you. I, I want to give this to you, but, but all of the money is his. You see, we can live in a dualism where spiritual stuff stays spiritual and physical and material stuff stays physical and material and never the twain shall meet. 
And when we live life that way, although we may go to church and read the scripture and pray and say we believe in God, but we keep him out of the physical part, if there's any area of life that we keep him out of, then we act as if God does not exist in that area. So functionally, we're atheists. We're practical atheists when we live that way. But the reality is, God made all things. Everything in the world he created, and he said that it was good. So all these things are a part of my life with God. There is no division. We don't separate things from God. And we're to use them and enjoy them for a short time for his glory and then someone else will have them. That's exactly what happens in the story, right? In verse 20, that's exactly what God says. You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Answer, not yours, right? Because none of this stuff is ours. It's all God's. We manage it for God for a time. We're stewards or managers of his money. But we do not separate it from God, not in any way at all. Here's the bottom line. If I lost you, if you're thinking about lunch, if you're thinking about, if you tuned out because this was going to be on money or something, here's the bottom line. When we begin to follow Jesus, that does not mean that we will not have money or we will not have stuff. But what it does mean is that we begin to look at money and look at stuff in a much different way. We no longer believe like this man that it's all about me and my future. But we begin to think if God has blessed me with this stuff, then how does God want me to use this stuff? That's what Jesus is saying to those who are followers of his. Now let me ask you. What about you? What about your heart? Many of us, when we get to this point, I was talking to Jeremy Terry at lunch on Friday. We were talking about this sermon. He says, you know, most people are going to say, well, I don't have to really, I'm not rich. I don't have a bunch of money, right? Please realize that in relation to the rest of the world, all of us in this room are rich, okay? I, I want to spend a little time there. Maybe not compared to other people in the United States. Maybe not compared to the other people in your neighborhood. Maybe not compared to the other folks that you do things with in our culture, in our day, in our town. But compared to the rest of the world, what most people have to live with in, a, in, a, in just a regular day, we're rich compared to that. One example. Think about that with me. I was talking to my daughter Sydney because we watch some of these shows together. We watch shows like Chopped or MasterChef or Is It Cake? Have you seen that one? Like Is It Cake or Is It Not? And they cut into it. Maybe it's a real pocketbook or actually it's a cake that may look like a pocketbook. Is It Cake or Guy's Grocery Game? But think about that. We live in a culture where we play games with food. We have game shows and make game shows about them. And a, and a judge takes two or three bites and then perhaps just throws away the food. While there are many places in the world today where people wonder if they'll have food, 
They can't afford to play games with food. And listen, don't hear what I'm not. I'm not saying that to shame us, okay? I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. And we're going to pass the plates again. No, that's not what we're doing here. What I'm saying is, thank you, God, that I live in 21st century America. I could have been born blind in the 13th century in Mongolia, and then where would I be? As Psalm 16 says, the lines have fallen in pleasant places for us because of the time and the place we live. So I don't say that to shame us. I just say realize that we are rich and fortunate to live where we do, when we do. And because that's true, do you think about other people that don't have as much as you do? Do you think about God and his kingdom? Or do you just think of yourself? We can get so focused on ourselves and having more that we actually do harm to ourselves. The latest studies say that, and Jesus said that. And think about that. If Jesus was given this warning in first century Palestine to people who were slaves to the Roman Empire, who were mostly Palestinian peasants, if he's warning them, how much more do we need to hear in our culture, watch out, take care. Covetousness is a real temptation. You're going to be tempted to want what other people have. And that desire can harm you. It can hurt your relationships. It can isolate you and dehumanize you. That's what Jesus is saying here. So he's saying don't lay up treasure for yourself without being rich toward God who blessed you with all this stuff. Jesus is inviting you to be free of being owned by your stuff. He's freeing us from the demands of our culture. The one who had the riches of heaven gave it all up for us. And Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died because of our thoughtless greed. Because of our covetousness. And as a result, we can be forgiven of those things. We can be cleansed from covetousness. When our trust is in Jesus, when our worth is found in Jesus, when our status is in Jesus, we can hold our money and our things more loosely. We can actually enjoy the gifts he's given without them owning us. And we can freely give to others. We love God so much for what he has done for us that we want to give more to see his kingdom grow. May God do that in this place. May he do it in the hearts of his followers here. And if you're not a follower, I invite you to come to him to accept his invitation to be free of the harm that money and material things can do to us. Let's pray together and ask God to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we love to see that the latest studies confirm what you have been saying all along. And I pray that you would help us to search our hearts and you would convict us of the things that may be harming us. And I pray for my friends and for my own heart that we have the freedom to come to you and to be free of the demands 
that we would not be owned by our possessions, but that we would walk within the freedom that comes in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.